Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Truth to Power on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. I'm Kira Hudson-Banks, and this is a place where we think about issues of identity and equity. And we're doing this series on talking homophobia and heterosexism generally, but it came about because my one child, who's the oldest one, came to me and was sharing some of what was happening at school. Uh, and some of the language he was hearing on his video games. And it made me think, do I know what to tell him? And so we started to talk about how he could stand up against homophobia. I started to explain to him the system of heterosexism. And then I realized, wait, hold up. Like here I am, a cisgendered heterosexual woman talking to my son who is cisgendered and identifies as heterosexual. Like we need to slow down and and listen to the voices of people who have the lived experience of folks who identify as LGBTQ. And so one of the things I said to him is we have people in our family and our lives that we know and that we care about who have these lived experiences. So why don't, why don't I reach out to them? Why don't I talk to them and hear about their experiences? They absolutely will have wisdom to share with us. And so that's how we got to the series. And so I've been talking to different folks about their experiences with homophobia and heterosexism, their experience of their sexual orientation. And um, I've just been really appreciative of their honesty and openness. So today we have with us Katie Hawk herself. And uh, I really appreciate you coming, Katie. Thank you. I know Katie from the Ferguson Uprising. Yep. And it's it's amazing how that experience is one where like you're forever bonded. Right. Right. Like, so we've never like been at each other's homes, but we've been out in the streets connected. Right. We've developed relationship over Facebook and other things and, and I'll forever feel connected mm-hmm. regardless of the distance because we went through such a tumultuous so year or two or so. Refining fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so thanks for joining me. Yeah. It's an honor. Yeah. Thank you. So any thoughts about what I shared with Avery about just in general, like what you might tell him or me as his parent, like how we should be responding to heterosexism and homophobia, how we can be an ally or as some people are calling an accomplice. Well, I, it is curious to me why kids tease around that. I mean, why that's a, and, and I think some curiosity around that might be in order. Like why would someone make fun of someone who was was gay, right? Why would why would that be a, a put down? Why is that um and I, I mean I think I have some curiosity about that with kids. I'm like, is that born of a, a fear or is that born of a right? Um and, and part of it is I remember when my oldest, um my firstborn was little, I think they were Five maybe, and they they had a Barbie, and they had a couple Barbies, and they were upset they couldn't do a wedding because they only had girl Barbies, and and I remember saying, well, why can't the girls get married? And they were like, what? Girls don't marry girls, and they were back. Oh my gosh, this was well late nineties, right? This was a long time ago, and I said, well, but what about so and so and so and so our friends? that were, you know, a female couple. And, and, and when was like, oh, oh, that's what it is. 
Okay. So, you know, giving it a name and a face and, and actually when is now grown and uses they, them pronouns and is marrying um, another person who uses they, them pronouns. So it was the beginning of their busting all kinds of norms in their life. Right. And busting that binary. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. the heteronormativity that they mm-hmm. needed a man and woman Barbie to right. get married. Like, right. Uh, no, you need some love right. and some, some desire to be married. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It is it is curious and I, I feel like it's it's curious and it's not, right? Because we know good and well that our society has all sorts of hatred towards LGBTQ folks. Right. Right. And so yes, I get I agree with kids to get curious, like why would that be something to make fun of someone about? Right. And then where I found with Avery, like we are lucky and it sounds like you all were too, to have people in your lives. Right. Right. Like I could point to couples in our lives uh, who were, you know, women, uh, two women with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could point to that. Mm-hmm. And um, so in, in many ways, it was like our willingness to be open as as adults and right. have people in our lives who could model for them that this is OK. Mm-hmm. And then I also try to be really real with him to be like, OK, and I'm not naive that in society, there's a lot of judgment. In churches, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of spaces that are not welcoming. And not to like just down on churches and religion, but religion has been used to control and condemn people for their sexual orientation. Right. Religion is a key player in all of this. Yeah. And it's really complicated with religion. Um, It's one of the few places, churches are one of the few, few places that are have legal sanction to be bigots or to be discriminatory in any way they choose. Um, it's true. It's really problematic. Um, and there's, uh, so I pastored uh, churches for 23 years before um, before stepping away. And uh, 17 of them, 16, were in Webster Groves right here in St. Louis. Um, and when we, when I came, it was in the uh, middle '90s, '96, and and we talked about even then, should we become an open and affirming church? Should we, you know, have this conversation as a church? And it was really contentious. Like, well, we'll just be welcoming, right? We'll just act our way into being, right? But if you can't say the words, right, and you can't stand up to the the um, to the bigotry, and and you can't uh, change the systems. It just keeps going. So, you know, ultimately we did do the hard work and we did do the vote and we did. But what was interesting, um, it was many years later that I came out. I'd been there for a dozen years. Um, and And when I did, initially the church was very supportive. Because, you know, we were open and affirming, so we had the structure in place. So that really is key. You know, the structure was there. So, of course, we're going to say it's okay that Katie's gay, right? Right. Right? So we did. And the church was um, okay. And and so it worked, except that you can change the structure, but it doesn't automatically change people's hearts. So it's a both and. So when I actually married Dar and I had a wife and not a husband, 
there were people that just couldn't make the switch. Mm. Mm. They just couldn't make the switch. So. And that's a beautiful story to, well, no, not beautiful and the fact that people couldn't get themselves together, well, but yeah, a, but... a beautiful example uh-huh. of how it is both and, uh-huh. right? Like, so you did the work before you were out uh-huh. to say, no, 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 it's not okay to just say we are open. Like we need to have it in our policy, have a mm-hmm. vote, have an institutional mandate to say we are open, right? Right. Because we know that policy is important Mm -hmm. within systems. Those rules and norms guide our actions. And sometimes attitudes can follow that. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes they don't. And people have to catch up. Yeah. Gosh, Katie. There's So it sounds like as much as you love the church and have pastored churches. Yeah, I have. (laughs) That it has also been a site of pain for you around your sexual orientation. Yeah. And and it's that's it what's interesting is that in this most brief this most recent foray into the church, um, that ended as almost as quickly as it started, it was just enough for me to remember how much I love preaching and teaching. I just love it. I'm and you know, I, I taught school for five years after leaving the church, and I'm, it was okay. I'm not good at it. You know, my wife is fabulous at it, but I'm not, you know. But when I stepped into the pulpit, I, I was home. You know, I, that, is, that is my call. You know, mm. when I lifted up the bread, I just, I have the words. I, you know, it's, it's who I am, right? I believe Jesus about God, right? But the church... The church is difficult. The church is really difficult. Can you tell us a little bit about this latest foray and just give a quick summary? Well, it, it was um, really weird. I had a fabulous interview with a search committee to do a temporary. So if it's a not a called position, the whole congregation doesn't have to vote. So it was the search committee and the council deciding. And the idea was that I would be there for three months for sure, and hopefully then renew after that and perhaps be their called pastor, right? And it was very part-time and it was rural Illinois. And I had been in a rural church in Southern Michigan for um, several years early on and loved it and really enjoyed trying to make the the transitions um, in, in the in that setting. So I, I was familiar and looking forward to it and excited and I preached and had great fun and um, lots of positivity after the service. And then I was called on Thursday. I said it was Sunday. I was called on Thursday and told there was a problem that apparently there's a bylaw that they can't have a gay pastor. And I was called on Friday and told that, yep, Yep, we're going to part ways. And I said, are you firing me? And he said, yeah, I don't like that word, but that's what it is. And I said, because I'm gay. And he said, yeah, I'm, I feel really bad about it, but yeah. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there, I mean, so many words and I so know. many questions. The fact that he would be honest in some ways. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I appreciate that. Right. right? Uh, so yeah. So the context and- is like I, my profile went to probably half a dozen churches in rural Illinois. They're the only ones that interviewed me. So I'm pretty sure the others are equally unwelcoming. 
what was odd is that they thought they were ready for me. Oh, so the committee knew that I was gay. That you were gay. Oh, yeah, we even talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I'm sure they knew their bylaws. I don't know if they realized that was in their bylaws. Oh, oh. So here we go again. Like, what's in your policy and all of that right. matters. So they right. might not have even been aware. I, they might have. I don't think they were aware. So individually, as a hiring group the committee, they were willing to be open and right, right. But someone else was not. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. How did you feel? I was devastated. I was devastated. And and part of it was that I'd had just enough um, time to realize that this really was, is what I love doing. And, and also the certainty that there is no place to do that in this area of the country anyway, in, in, in a pre-existing church, right? So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to start something. And, um, so it was, I, I think that was the part that was, that was most hurtful, that I really wanted to do the work and can't. Um, mm. And it's something I'm really good at. You know how you know when you're really good at something? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, it hurts my heart. Yeah, it makes me angry. Yeah. And it speaks to... Unfortunately, like so many people think it's 2019. That doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) I just kept thinking, you can't fire me because I'm gay. Well, I guess you just did. I guess you just did. And I guess as a religious institution, you can. Yeah. And we're in Missouri. I know you said this was not Missouri, but we don't have gender and sexual orientation protections in this state. Right. And we're not the only one. Right. So I, I think it's important for people to hear your experience as as devastating as it is to understand this still happens. Oh, it does. It what was unusual about it, it like I said, there were several churches that that won't even um have a conversation with me. Um one of them said, well maybe you could apply for our position because you wouldn't live here, right? No one would need to know. And I imagine that that this the hurt from an institution that you love is one thing. But then also this this like message that you shouldn't hide part of yourself or that like when you came out and you mentioned coming out while you were pastoring. So I imagine you were older in life. I'm a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'd be curious if you're open with sharing, like there clearly were other things that kept you from being fully who you are oh, yeah. before coming out in the church. And so then to have the site of, of harm to be this place that I thought was safe. That you thought was safe, that loved you, that you were able to grow and serve. Yeah, I think that is what makes it so hard. Um, one of my f- early awarenesses of uh, that I might be gay, it was in seminary. We had this month intensive of human sexuality with the University of Minnesota and, and our seminary and somebody, some Lutheran school, I guess. Anyway, so this intensive sexuality month. And um, I was at lunch with some uh, classmates and I was standing next to a woman and I'm ordering my food at McDonald's. And all of a sudden I realized that the emotion, that the feeling I had 
was attraction. And I was horrified <laughs> because like, well, that's okay for them. That's okay for those. That's okay for you. But, but I, I want to be a pastor, you know? And I had already like studied my way out of fundamentalism and into the United Church of Christ that accepts women, right? But even though in theory we accepted people who were gay, this was the 1980s. We didn't, you could never work if you were gay, right? So I, I was just like, oh, that can't be me. That can't be me. That can't be me, right? Oh, gosh. So you had that awareness as you were studying. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. And, but you were married. But I, no, I wasn't no. yet. But okay. I stuffed that down. Oh, I stuffed that one deep. And then I, oh. I married um, a family friend uh, who loved the church. Um, and I, yeah, he, and he loved the church. So, uh, yeah. So that worked. He loved it, the church. You loved the church. It worked. But you had buried so much. Yes. And, and the thing about it is when you... I was born in 1962, so I mean, when I was born, it was illegal, and you would be institutionalized. And I mean, you know, it was it it wasn't an option. I asked the most liberal friend in junior high, "What if?" You know, she was goth when there, you know, before there was goth, right? And she was like, "Oh, you just better hope you're not, Katie." Right. So, I mean, that was when I grew up. I so mean, you had an awareness when you were in junior high. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah I mean, that, but that, stuff it, right? Right. But you stuff it. But stuff it, stuff it, but stuff it. And, and so if you're stuffing all that stuff, you, you have to do something with it. I mean, so, you know, Jesus is a good antidote maybe, but that only worked for so long. Then there was, you know, you know, foray into trying to stuff it with drinking and, and that worked until it didn't. And yeah, so. Yeah. And it's, it's natural. It's natural for, for kids to have an awareness of their sexuality and, mm -hmm. and having two kids who are developing and growing. Like I, right. that's part of why I have felt like ill-equipped in having this conversation with Avery, with my, you know, with my kids, but also like I have to talk to people who've been through this experience mm -hmm. because I'm watching them and I'm like, I want them to grow up in a world where they get to be their whatever, most authentic their, their most self. Authentic self. Mm -hmm. So they feel those feelings mm -hmm. for someone who's the same gender and the same pronouns that they know that that's okay. Right. Right. And yet we live in this world where it's not. And, I, and it probably is no coincidence that my own finally reckoning with who I am happened when my kids were um, middle and high school, right? Really? Yeah. And I think that is part of it, is I'm in encouraging them to be their most authentic selves. It was really pushing my own buttons. So I'm sure all of that coincides. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Kids are such good teachers. Aren't they? Oh, yeah, hard. Yeah. Good yeah. and hard teachers. Yeah. Ugh. If you could tell your developing middle school, high school self, yeah, some words of wisdom, what would you say? Oh, be your most authentic self. Be who you are. I mean, whoever you are. It's not like I chose to be gay. I chose to hide. Right. That's the choice. I. It's not like I have a gay lifestyle. Um, you know, we have a, a fireplace and a dog and a cat and actually too many cats. But, right, I mean, we just, we have a, just a life, right? Right. I, whoever it is that we are, whoever we're most attracted to, whatever um, 
most genuine expressions of of sexuality and gender and I mean that's who we were created to be, right? And our our faith, our spiritual health depends on us being our most authentic self, right? I mean, I know religion has all kind of rules, but but our spirit our spirit has to get in touch with that most authentic self. So that's what I would tell my my early self mm. to be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want for for all of us, mm-hmm. especially for for kids who they haven't been as as mm-hmm. socialized into our rules, whether it's through religion or school or whatever, right? Right. So they've been in it for some years, right? But they still have, I think, the ability to like see things differently than the way they are. Mm-hmm. To dream because they don't know all the ins and outs and politics of everything. They don't. And so that's part of what I want to do with raising equity is try to help adults understand concepts of identity and and oppression and systemic all of that stuff so that they can help kids understand what's happening in the world and they're at this developmental stage where they could maybe create something different. And, and it is interesting how much we put on that that they don't already have. Um, one of the things, Blue, our, our teen came home, uh, he works at Squires, and he came home from work in a shower yesterday, and he was just like, kind of mortified. It was a a reveal shower, I think. It was all about the gender of the, the coming baby, right? And the gender is being defined by an ultrasound, I'm guessing, based on visible genitalia, I'm guessing, you know, right? Right. So it's like like all this stuff that's being put on this baby that isn't even born yet. So, yeah. Yeah. And so how can we help them to see what's happening so that maybe they can ch- choose to n- it's not even not be of it because we're of it but in it but not of it to be aware to of, be aware yeah, right that- of when we're putting something on somebody that may not for years i knew i'm i'm trying to think um i think it was yeah it was 5 years that i knew that i was a lesbian before i was able to say it out loud in public mm. you know i i said it to the people i was closest to but i you know, it took a long, long time. Um, and in those years, I was cognizant that I never said I'm heterosexual. Yes. I never said that. And in fact, sometimes people would say something to me and I would say, don't assume I'm heterosexual, right? Um, that's not a box. You know, don't assume I'm in that box. But but the heteronormativity, and I think you spoke of that earlier, is so strong in our culture that even if you don't say, if, if you, it's just assumed that you're straight unless you come out as gay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's part of, in talking to Avery, is part of what I was saying. Like you, he mm-hmm. is, he identifies as heterosexual, and we've had this conversation, right, mm-hmm. in terms of attraction and. And so I said, I actually think that being heterosexual, you have a responsibility to see the privilege that you have. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I need you to not just not be okay with homophobic comments. I need you to to not just not participate 
right? right? Like I need you to think about how you leverage your privilege, your heterosexual privilege, the privilege of 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 just being quote unquote straight and normal, right? Because I don't like the term straight because like I feel like then that means everything else is crooked. What well, you know? I don't. Right? I, <laughs> like I I I want to try to make visible mm-hmm. um, because I want. I want people to be able to be their full selves. And um yeah, I mean we we both have that that hope. Yeah. And it's like how do we how do we raise kids so that it could be a reality? How do we create spaces so that you can be your full self and not get fired? Oh, right. Right? Like I don't even have any words, Katie. I really don't. And yet we've talked about this and and one of the things that that you said that made me really uh, step back was this this piece around having had the keys to privilege. Yeah, yeah. And then not. And then not. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like in interpersonally, one of my ahas was um, holding hands with Dar, walking to the restaurants in Webster Groves, you know, around town. And the the looks we would get and the, it was like, what? I mean, you're like, we're holding hands. I mean, couples hold hands all the time, right? But that was like in a, in a interpersonal way. Um, but I think professionally it's been stunning because um, if it weren't for the fact that I'm gay, I would have, a preaching gig every single Sunday and then some, right? I, and I don't want to work full time. I just, I really, I'm, I'm retired and want to be retired. But nobody will even, I mean, nobody even wants a gay pastor even for one Sunday, right? Because, um, well, I don't know if it because, but, but it's just really stunning to me. And I, I look back and I think, um, when I had the privilege cards, did I do enough? Mm. You know, I don't know. Um, in some some ways, I feel really good. You know, like we helped this church become open and affirming, and we welcomed all kinds of um, queer couples. And we we did. We took that wedding bus. We took a whole bus of us from church up to Iowa to get married, right? Because we couldn't do that in in Missouri. And so, you know, on the one hand, I feel like we did some really good stuff. On the other hand, as soon as I had a wife by my side. It was pretty clear I needed to leave the church. It was. Um, was it said to you as plainly as this recent firing? No, 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 no. It was much more like you would expect. Much more like all of a sudden, the person who had helped me work on this theological frame we were using real progressive theological frame. She was really kind of my mentor in many ways, but she all of a sudden began saying it was heresy, and reporting wanted wanted the council to turn me in for heresy. And I didn't even know we had heresy in the United Church of Christ. So, yeah, it was much more like that backdoor, I'm going to find a reason to quietly get rid of you. Mm-hmm. And and there were, you know, the vast majority of people were really cool and supportive, and the people in the governance were cool and supportive, but there were dragons circling, um, mm. conflict brewing. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, but what I thought was interesting is I think thought I had done enough in this place. I thought, right? But it didn't obviously work for me. And But I thought, well, they're in a good place. Now they're going to search for a new pastor. And they hired a straight pastor. 
<laughs> so I don't know um, if I if I did enough. I there are people. One of my seminary classmates, who was the most gifted student in our in our class, was openly gay, and I he was a mentor way back then, and and is even today. But he couldn't. We graduated from seminary. I got scooped up. I had jobs. I had jobs. I had jobs. I had a great career. Um, he couldn't get a job. He worked for the denomination for a while. He took an inner city church that had a dozen members. Finally, and he actually. Once he got that church, it just like it turned it into something beautiful, and uh, it blossomed. And he blossomed, and he then moved to another church, and he's doing great now, mm-hmm. right? But he really, um, but you know, meanwhile, he deserved more. Oh my gosh, he, he was more, the most that's... gifted student in our class, and so now, you know, he's the one supporting me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like, well. But I had all those benefits all those years. I had the career, right? So it's just kind of interesting. Hmm. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us, reflecting out loud with us, because this is a recent hurt. And uh, so I just want to honor that and appreciate that out loud. And I hope that people got from it not only like gained some compassion and understanding, but also we'll do something with that. Like, so whether it's leveraging your privilege, if you've got those cards now, or if it's, you know, learning your church bylaws and maybe trying to change them. Mm-hmm. Because I know, for example, like the Methodist church has a conference that's coming up. They have a big decision around um, being accepting, uh, gay affirming, right? And I'm sure other churches are having these conversations. I know not all of them are. But where they are, how can you be a part, if you're a part of the church community, you know, how can you be a part of trying to shift the culture and it's, policy? It's the, the Malcolm, um, it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s, the white liberal, the problem of the uh, white liberal. The people who hired me, knowing that I was gay, were not themselves bigots or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, they knew who I was, but they couldn't handle the conflict. That came. They couldn't handle the conflict that came. Mm -hmm. And that, and and I think that's um, one of the privileges of being heterosexual is to be free of conflict. Whereas if you're queer, there's going to be conflict. We don't get a choice about that. Well, and they caved to the heteronormativity, the heterosexism, uh-huh. and that was their default. So the question is, like, how do we change the default? Right. Right. Because if they don't have the guts to stand up against the status quo, right. how do we change the status quo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I appreciate you. Thank and you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on Raising Equity. Hopefully you have followed our series about heterosexism and homophobia and have not only gained some knowledge, but also some compassion and understanding for people who have the lived experience of having experienced heterosexism and homophobia. So those who identify as LGBTQ, I just want to name that it's it's a it's a gift when people share their stories with you. And so I hope that you've received that gift and have listened deeply. Mm-hmm.